this is my voice. It can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on the Black experience. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. My name is Steve Inskeep. I work for NPR News. I also write books, and my latest book is called Differ We Must, How Lincoln Succeeded in a Divided America. It's been a busy year for NPR personalities. In the last few months, I've spoken with two hosts of All Things Considered, and I'm back with the host of Morning Edition, Steve Inskeep. Throughout the course of his 27-year career at NPR, he's interviewed numerous congressional leaders and presidents, so it might not be surprising that his newest book focuses on one of America's most famous and revered presidents, Abraham Lincoln. I recently spoke with Steve Inskeep about Lincoln's challenge to unite a divided country and the lessons we can learn for today. From KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network, this is Marginalia. Now, Lincoln met with thousands of people during his life and political career, but you focus on 16. Your chapter titles describe them as protagonist, provocateur, nativist, conspiracy theorist, and likewise, and the like. Why these 16? Um, It was a hard choice. You're right about thousands of people, and so many of them are documented. In fact, there is a book that I discovered during my research. It's more than 1,000 pages long. It's called Lincoln Day by Day, and it's every documented event in Lincoln's life, including every meeting he was known to have had in the White House with different people, unbelievable number of characters, many of them famous, many of them significant. And I didn't want to go through all of them, But I did want to narrow it down to a collection of people who would help me tell Lincoln's life story through specifically meetings with people who differed with him, who disagreed with him, or came from a radically different background or point of view. And I wanted to do that for a lot of reasons, which we can discuss. But one of them is I felt that that is how I would see Lincoln, by seeing him in action in the same way that you best see an athlete by seeing them moving on the field. You can see what they do almost better than you could describe what they do. Lincoln, for all of his fame, is kind of a mysterious character, but I felt that I would understand that character better by seeing what he did under stress. Talk to me about the title. It comes from a letter Lincoln sent to his best friend? Yeah, Joshua Speed uh, was like Lincoln from Kentucky. And like Lincoln moved to Springfield, Illinois as a young man, and they became best friends. Speed was, without doubt, the best friend of Lincoln's life. And Speed also came from a slaveholding family. Lincoln always opposed slavery, never agreed with the choices of Speed's family, but they became friends. And it became apparent in the 1850s that they disagreed politically about slavery. Lincoln was against it. Speed was, in theory, in the abstract, against it, but didn't seem to want to do very much about it in Lincoln's opinion, wasn't serious about it in Lincoln's opinion. And Lincoln told him so in a letter and said why he thought Joshua Speed was wrong. But then he said, if for this you and I must differ, differ we must, philosophically accepting that they were going to disagree. And he did not write off his friend. He didn't ostracize or isolate his friend. He ended this letter, your friend forever. He stuck with Joshua Speed, and later when Lincoln became president and the Civil War began, Joshua Speed was his ally, an important ally in keeping Kentucky 
in the union, he made use of someone for the greater good, someone that he did not agree with. Lincoln has a reputation as the noble backwoods rail splitter who rose to prominence due to his hard work and his benevolence toward others. At one point in the book you wrote, his image was so simple it was easy to miss how much work it took to maintain it. But he was really quite the shrewd politician, wasn't he? Yeah, and thank you for finding that line in the middle. I'm always touched when someone finds a line in the middle that suggests they really read. Or maybe did you like flip randomly through and you found out? I did not flip randomly through. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. I I appreciate that. You you got the you got the image. I mean, he was a gr- he was great at political imagery. Uh, he rail splitter. It refers to the fact that he had split many fence rails with an axe. He spent a lot of his youth with an axe in his hand, cutting wood for various various things. Um, and in many ways, the image was true. He'd grown up on the frontier. He'd done a lot of manual labor. He was virtually uneducated, less than one year of formal education, um, and rose to these great heights and never lost that sense of being an ordinary man, a common man, or someone at least who could relate to the common man, even though he was an uncommon person himself. But he did work very hard to maintain that image. He worked very hard to use humble expressions. He worked very hard, even when he was insulting a political opponent, to say, I admire this great and great and benevolent man, except, of course, what he meant by that was, this guy thinks he's better than all the rest of us in this crowd. Um, and and he, he, he was thinking about that all the time. He was very calculating. He, of course, was very eloquent with words. We know the Gettysburg Address. We know the second inaugural address. We know the eloquent things that he said. But he also was very calculating in what he left unsaid. He often was very mysterious about who he was, what he really believed, or what he planned to do next. In the chapter on George Pendleton, you wrote about the gubernatorial race involving Clement Van Landingham, saying of Lincoln, he could not, he said, have believed four years before that one genuine American would or could be induced to vote for such a man as Van Landingham, yet he had been the candidate of a large party, the representative man, and has received a vote that is discredit to the country. Would Lincoln have felt the same way about the election of Donald Trump? Oh, gosh, I would not want to say what Lincoln would have thought about Donald Trump. I will say, in this case, Lincoln is president. It was the Civil War. uh, So there's like literally an armed rebellion. And uh, this guy in Ohio denounced the Union war effort and called it a wicked abolition war, a wicked war, in Clement Vallandigham's words, to free the slaves, which he didn't seem to agree with at all. And he was running for governor while saying this. Um, Lincoln got in trouble, or his administration did, because a general, working under Lincoln, of course, had Vallandigham arrested for what he said, and Lincoln had to figure out what to do about this arrest that he knew was wrong, that it was just kind of politically wrong and morally wrong to arrest someone for words that they spoke, even though under the laws that were in effect, Lincoln had the legal right to do it. It wasn't, it wasn't right. Um, Lincoln was discouraged and depressed, yes, by uh, this guy and the way that he denounced the Union cause, but he was ultimately encouraged because Vallandigham lost the Ohio governor's election that he was running in by a, by a huge, uh, huge margin. We often hear about history repeating itself, but as I, I read the book, 
so much just felt timely, whether it was the, the wrecking of Elijah Lovejoy's multiple printing presses or even the newspaper press in Lawrence, Kansas. It reminded me, you know, of a freedom of the press situation we have going on in Marion County, yeah. just an hour north of here. And the politicking seemed just as scheming as it does now. Is the current political situation, the divisiveness, is it the worst since the Civil War? Yeah, I, I don't know that it's the worst, but it's pretty bad. Um, but I think that we can get some guidance from the 1850s and, and 1860s. And you are referring to events where people destroyed printing presses whose publishers were printing things that they didn't like, typically things about slavery. There were incredible violations of free speech, even by the federal government itself in the first half of the 19th century, having to do with slavery. And while I, just to acknowledge it, while I ducked your question about a comparison with Donald Trump, because I don't think that that comparisons should be exact. There are lessons to learn by how our predecessors dealt with these issues. There's a little bit of reassurance, too, in that we have always battled over free speech and what it means. Uh, democracy is never finished. No battle is ever over. And we have to constantly be on guard uh, at the frontier and even have a debate over what the frontier is or where the frontier is. Um, and that is really uncomfortable, but it's also part of the process of being in a free country where there are many different people with many different points of view. You know, early in the book, we learned that Lincoln would read the newspaper aloud to himself, which would annoy his law partner almost <laughs> almost beyond the point of endurance. And this made me smile because I often say to my colleagues and listeners, almost beyond the point of endurance, that I prefer to read and listen to a book simultaneously. Oh. So two senses. So I listened to you read your own words aloud to me. And it made me wonder, do you write in like audio appropriate sentences rather than print specific because you come from this world of audio. I love this conversation. You're Lincoln-esque, for starters. <laughs> You're you. like Abraham Lincoln. Second, I mean, I thought about the radio when I read that thing about Lincoln, about him reading the newspaper aloud. I th he drove his law partner crazy because his law partner had not was not familiar with public radio. So he wasn't <laughs> ready to hear someone reading the news aloud to him all day long. Um, but but, but, but your, your question is about my writing process uh, and whether I think about the way that a sentence sounds. I think I do. And even if I didn't, one of the ways that I check the copy to make sure that it makes sense is to read it aloud. If I get a moment in the house when nobody's around the house, you know, and I'm not driving people crazy, I might read a whole chapter to myself or as much of the chapter as I have time for. And I do end up possibly writing different and more involved sentences on the page than I would necessarily say on the radio. But I hope there's a similarity. And once in a while, I do hear from somebody who's read one of my books who said, I imagined you telling me the whole thing. <laughs> I could hear it. One final question. What what did you learn about Lincoln that surprised you? Um, wow, there was so much. A lot of these meetings that I focused on, I had no idea about in the beginning. I think one of several big insights was the way that he thought about other people. You know, we look at Lincoln and try to think about him and think about his morals or his soul or what he really believed. And there really are questions about this. He said some very uh, doubtful things or things that have dated very badly about, about slavery even. Um, and that raises all kinds of questions about his internal soul. But I turned my focus somewhat in the other direction about what he thought about other people. Because in order to lead people, in order to persuade people, 
you need to understand people. And he spent a large part of his life, from his youth even, carefully observing other people and thinking about who they were and what what motivated them. Um, and then when he spoke to them, he spoke to them in terms of their own interests, their own self-interest even. What concerns did they have? He knew that he had to address those concerns as a political leader. And then he tried to match their self-interest, if he could, with some larger cause like keeping the country together or containing slavery or eventually ending slavery. But he had to think about the person on the other side. He had to think about the people in the crowd. He had to think about people who'd grown up differently than himself in order to get anywhere in life and certainly to get anywhere as a political leader. The book is Differ We Must, How Lincoln Succeeded in a Divided America. Steve Inskeep, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. That was Steve Inskeep, author of the book, Differ We Must, How Lincoln Succeeded in a Divided America, which was published by Penguin Press. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevens and Haley Krausen. Our producers are Haley Krausen and Katie Lanning. And our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.